And the moment when we encounter death or the death that's in the world, we need an advocate in that moment. Yes. We need somebody to stand up and rebuke the devourer. We need somebody to stand up and speak the word of a life that has overcome death. That's what we need. And that kind of thing will always well up inside of me, wherever I'm at. Right? Um, but that's what we need. That's, that's why God sent Jesus, actually. God said, these guys need an advocate against the death that's in the world. Sure. Right. And so he sent Jesus to be our advocate against the death that's in the world. Right? So he could stand next to us, and we could see how he rebuked death. I mean, we see Jesus, and we see he's sinless. Do you know what it means to see Jesus and see that he's sinless? It doesn't mean to see Jesus and see that his morals are all perfect. Right. It doesn't mean to see Jesus and see that all his behavior was always perfect. It means to see Jesus and see that there's no death in him. Yes, exactly. There's no death in him. And it's not that he found a way to avoid the death and like not come across it. No, no, no. All of the death came upon this guy, and he had a life in him that even consumed death from the inside out, and it consumed it so much that he was left deathless. Right. And so to see Jesus sin sinless seated at the right hand of God, is to see him free from death, never to be able to be touched by death again. Amen. Now, when I encounter the death in the world, I need an advocate. Because you know what that death is trying to tell me? All kinds of stuff about my life. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to take me captive and make me do things I don't want to do. Right. Yes. And make me do things I would never think to do. Right? And in fact, I'll feel guilty after I do them. Now, in that moment, I need an advocate. I need someone to come and stand next to my life and tell me about my life. Well, now I see Jesus, sinless, free from death. And what does 1 John say? As he is, so, so are we, we in now yes, right. in this world. So if Jesus is sinless, again, we have to keep saying this. What does it mean to be sinless? It means to be cleansed from the wound of death. Never to be able to be touched by death again. That's what it means to be sinless. Okay? So, as Jesus is now, sinless, cleansed from death. Never to be touched by death again. So am I in this world. I'm cleansed from death. Never to be able to be touched by death again. The devourer has been rebuked. Death can no longer steal anything from me. Death cannot take from me. Death cannot keep from me. That's what it means. That's why 1 John would go on and say that he who has believed on Jesus cannot sin. <laughs> They're sinless. Why are they sinless? Because the incorruptible seed that is his life abides in them, right? So they have a life that's been cleansed from sin, that has no sin in it. And then as he is now, so are we in this world. And so then we, that's how you walk in the world with the heart that's been purified from fear, mm -hmm. right? Because fear is in the world on account of the death that you see or right. the lack that you see or all the things you see that you think aren't right. And we're all in various stages of looking around and seeing things that we don't think are right. <laughs> and when we say that we don't think that they're right, let's understand what we're saying. They're inconsistent with life. They're inconsistent with having life. And we don't just see them and think, who cares? The reason we feel something when we see them is because they, we think that it's testifying something about our life. Right. right? Well, we need an advocate in that moment. We need a different testimony about our life. We need to see that our life has been cleansed from death once for all time. Oh, we see Jesus. And that's why God sent Jesus. You know, that started with you saying something about not liking doing weddings and yeah, funerals yeah. and stuff. And, like, so many things that you said in there seem like they related to, to the, I guess, the ritual that comes from those things. Or, 
it kind of gives a platform to be judged when you put those formalities on something. And it's kind of like the law. And so that it, it makes so much sense for someone who believes the way that you do to feel that way about doing those kinds of things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. And, and what I realize is human beings, maybe we grow to like to be the center of attention because we think it proves we're good. Right? right? But that's a corrupt thing that happens. I think at the beginning of life, human beings don't like being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. The problem with public speaking is we've taken on the world mindset, and we, when we're publicly speaking, we think we're the center of attention. But we're not. The people we're talking to are the center of the attention. Right? Mm-hmm. right? And there you start finding liberty, right? To be free from yourself. You need to be free from yourself and your own thoughts about yourself and your own thoughts about what other people think about you mm-hmm. and what other people perceive. People don't see you the way you see yourself. Mm-hmm. I promise you. Because the way you see yourself is based on your heart. Right. And everybody else is not seeing you through your heart. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is seeing you through their heart. And their heart ain't the same as yours. And so, listen, man, nobody else is seeing you like you see yourself. Nobody else hears you the way you hear yourself. Hi, Barb. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. But nobody hears your voice the way you do. No. Nobody sees you the way you do. Nobody scrutinizes you the way you do. Nobody thinks the things about you that you think. Right? Nobody's despising you the way you're despising yourself. I promise. I promise. I promise. That's why I love that Mumford and uh, Mumford and Sons song because back when I was like 24, I remember God told me, I'll never, always forget. Remember this for the rest of my life. Lend me your eyes and I'll change what you see. Right? What? You, well, I was looking at the same things he was looking at. It wasn't that we were looking at different things. It's that we were looking at the same thing with a different eye. Right. And so he gave me his eyes. And then I started looking at life through his eyes. And that changes everything. You bet. Right? And so, man, if you're despising yourself, the, the natural tendency is you transpose that onto other people. They must also be despising you. We're all acutely aware of all of our weaknesses. And we call them weaknesses. I'm not sure that's the proper term for it. I think it's more accurately just that we need God. <laughs> I don't know that it's a weakness to need God. I don't know that it's a weakness to uh, need God's faith. I don't know that that's actually described as a weakness. We call it a weakness, and so we put that word on it to help ourselves. But, man, all the things that we see in ourselves that we call weakness, and we think everybody else also sees them and they think it's a weakness, they ain't thinking about that. But we should keep that in mind, guys. It's difficult for us to do, but... We don't want to transpose our own insecurities and our own offenses onto the people around us. That's, that's, I was just going to share that the thing that makes it comfortable for me to speak in front of people is the realization that if they walk away hating me and what I've said, it has no impact on who I am and how Christ feels about me. Yeah. And, and I rest in that, and then I'm comfortable saying... You know, let's just give them the message. And if they like it, fine. If they don't, that's, you know, it's up to them. But to be able to say it's, it's, it's irrelevant what they think of me when I speak. And that just makes me 
very comfortable in doing that. And it can't affect your life either. Right. Right. It's not just that it can't affect, because I remember what, I was there for a long time. I know it doesn't affect how you feel about me, Jesus. But I was still living as if it could affect my life. Yeah. As if it could get in the way. Right? Of the ministry, of the church, of the gospel going forth. I remember I had myself inserted in that. Yeah, Lord, everything I'm saying is true, but I suck at saying it, so no one's going to listen. Right? And so I still had myself in the way of it being received. Right? And that was telling me that I lacked what I needed for a good life. Right? And so then he comes and, and plucks that out. Right? And when I say... We don't want to transpose our offenses onto other people. I don't mean offense in the, the traditional sense of the world where we say we're angry because someone did us wrong. Offense in the Bible, to be offended, means to stumble at the truth. Mm-hmm. It means you've adopted yeah. a belief about something that is not the truth. Yeah. And then because you've adopted it as the truth, that becomes the lens by which you view life. Right? We'll just use me as an example. I adopted a belief that I'm too much for people mm-hmm. at a very young age. Well, I viewed life like that. And I viewed all the people around me like that. Mm-hmm. And I viewed that they that must filter. also despise it. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just that I despised myself for how intense I was. It's that I thought everyone else was also despising me. After all, if I'm despising me, certainly they must be too. Right? Right? right, And we, we, we think like that. Yeah. And we're very good at picking out all the things we think are wrong with ourselves. I mean, like that, boom. We're very good at picking out all the things we think is wrong with our life. Boom. Just like that. And we run down the road with all the things we think are wrong with our life before we stop for one second and ask God if he thinks there's something wrong with our life. Yeah. Right? I mean, the moment we think there's something wrong with our life, that's going to happen. You're, not gonna, you're never going to have that not happen until you see your flesh glorified immortal. Mm-hmm. And you see the fullness of God manifested in your body. You'll never stop thinking there's something wrong with your life from time to time till you see that. So it's not about we need to get to the place where we stop thinking there's something wrong with our life. It's that we need to get to the place where when we think there's something wrong with our life, we hear the voice of God saying, who told you there's something wrong with your life? Right? Is, did God come and sit next to you and, oh, yeah, man, I see that stuff. Man, there's a whole lot of sin there. Right? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? But that's how we live. We live as if, it, of course. Right? right? Yeah. And so we do so good if we would just stop for a second and talk with God about the things that are communicating to us there's something wrong with our life. Mm-hmm. If we'll just stop for a moment and start talking with God. Lord, how do you see my life? Yeah. Do you see there's something wrong with it? Are you despising it? Right. Are you despising these things? Just have a conversation with him. Right? Mm-hmm. What can you lose? <laughs> what can you lose by just having a conversation with him? Your opinion. Yeah, you, <laughs> you can lose your opinion and you might lose your box. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You might lose the box you've carefully constructed that you yeah. think makes your life good. Yes. It might get tossed. <laughs> and then you'll be busy really enjoying life because it's much more fun to not have a box Yeah. because oh, yeah. there's much less anxiety and trepidation if there isn't a box yeah. if there is a box there's anxiety and trepidation if you don't think the box is present right? and you start feeling it yeah. you start feeling the heavy weight right? right? you start feeling there's something is wrong with my life 
something is wrong with the life here, right? Mm-hmm. Man, just stop. Don't. I'm not telling you to get rid of your box. That's the law. I'm not telling you to get rid of your box. I'm telling you to talk with God the next time you think something's wrong with your life or you feel something pressing in on your life. Before you do anything else, stop and hear the voice of God who told you there's something wrong with your life and then engage with him about it yeah. and see what you feel at the end, right? And then just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And do you know why you'll do that? Because God's your friend. I mean, don't you want to talk to your friend about the things that bother you? Yeah. It's like we think once we can solve all the things that bother us, then we can talk with God. <laughs> right? Once we sort all that out, then we can talk with God. God come God come to us in the cool of the day. Greg, where are you? Don't don't distract me. I'm trying to sort out all the problems with my life. Not now. Not now. Right? Yeah. And I think I'm getting somewhere this time. I've got it pinpointed down on this one thing. <laughs> Not nail God. Right? And then, who told you there's something wrong with your life? That's so good. Right? Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, that we always talk about what we think how we need to bring forth freedom. But I, it's, just, it's a very simple thing. You engage with God in a conversation about your life and all your thoughts about life. If you're actively talking with God about those things, you'll find liberty born in you. Mm-hmm. You will. I'm a walking testimony. I'm telling you, of all the people in this room, nobody's seen me more full of anxiety in my whole life than probably Elias. And maybe it was because I didn't think he knew me that well. But I would go over there when I was really stressed out about the beginning of the church, and he'd be the only one there, and I'd be like, I'm going to die. <laughs> he probably thought I was going to die. Honestly, man. It helped me to see that kind of thing because if if the spiritual people only ever show you the yeah. spiritual side of them, then yeah. you start saying, "Well, what's wrong with me?" Yeah. And seeing you struggle makes made me know when I was struggling. Like, well, evidently everyone struggles, so mm-hmm. it's okay, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Good. But through the course of all that, all I really did was I kept talking with God yeah. mm-hmm. about my deepest fears, my deepest insecurities. I just kept talking with God about all those things. And what I find was he brought forth liberty mm-hmm. in me, right? Yeah. Whoever I is probably can't remember the last time I went over there and was like, well, I can't say it. What do I going to do? <laughs> he probably wishes you would keep coming. <laughs> 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 but that that's that's how liberty uh works glory to god but does anybody have anything i don't want to uh dictate the whole thing if somebody has something else going on that they want to talk about and... it's kind of funny that you were talking about that subject matter because on the way over here i was like just praying going you know i bet i annoy so many people and then I went, no, I don't think so. I think uh, maybe 40% of the time I <laughs> annoy people and 60%, they just don't get me. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's true. It's like, who told you? Yeah. You know? Who told you? Who told you? For the longest time, I tried to convince myself that, uh, that it wasn't true that somebody could be annoyed around me. Mm-hmm. And that was okay at first. But then what I realized is that like was me deceiving myself sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I could still see evidence where it appeared people are annoyed with me. 
Right. Right? And so it never resulted in absolute freedom. What then I come to realize is God said, Greg, what makes you think the people being annoyed has anything to do with you? Mm. Yeah. What makes you think that the reason they feel annoyed is external and because of how you're acting, even though you're present and it isn't internal and because of something they've adopted in their life right? mm. or something that's happened to them in their life? Right? Because when I thought my intensity is off-putting and I didn't have a great revelation of, so what? Right? Maybe it is off-putting to somebody. It was like I had to prove that the intensity was good. Then I started defining myself by the intensity. Right? right? Mm-hmm. And then I started despising people. Should they now despise the intensity? <laughs> What's wrong with them? <laughs> right? And so it, it, that, it was a good start, but it wasn't absolute freedom. It's like, what if a woman had been abused in her relationship? Physically and emotionally. And what if the man was all the time yelling at her? Do you think hearing me yell could trigger her? Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean it's me? No. Does it even mean that it's her? Do we have to make a Do we have to make a judgment that it's good or evil? We don't. We don't have to make that judgment. And so then I thought, listen, if there could be a million and one different reasons why loud preaching mm-hmm. triggers them. Right? right? And it's all external. Yeah. It's not from their pure heart. It's from the external things they've encountered in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And the right. things they've judged through the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And I've also done the same thing about it. So what am I going to do? Right? You know what I do now? I have a very soft-spoken friend who's got a wonderful accent. And when people can't stand how loud I am, I point them to him. (laughs) Right? Because we say almost the exact same thing. Exactly. Yep. Right? Right. (laughs) It's the same dynamic with my wife, right? Listen, I love my wife and my wife loves me. Do you think my wife wants me instructing her about life all the time? (laughs) Do you think she she likes that? Do Do you think she wants preacher Greg at home? Do you think she wants Greg... Uh, counseling her all the time at home. Mm-hmm. No. So Becky and I, we, we have very few conversations about the scriptures and all those kinds of things. Because she just wants Greg. Right? And even if I'm not putting it up, her life under the microscope, it can have a tendency to feel that way. Because I'm all the time just scripture. This is, what, this is what's going on. Right? And so I love when Birdie comes in town because Birdie will come in town and say the same thing to her that I've been saying for like three years. That she didn't hear anything I said. And she'll hear Birdie and she'll, oh, glory to God, the Holy Spirit fell upon me. <laughs> now, I couldn't get offended. Yeah. And instead of being happy that she got a revelation and got free, I can walk off thinking, I've been trying to tell that woman that for three years. <laughs> but what, I mean, why? Rather just be happy. It's not about who they get the revelation from. It's about who they get the, who that they get the revelation. Right. It's like Paul come and said, "You guys are all the time talking about how you're of Apollos and you're of Peter and you're of John and you're of me and you're of all these people." Listen, man, one may plant, one may water, but it's God that gives the increase. And the one who plants and the one who waters is nothing. It's the one who gives the increase that is something, and it's God, right? Yeah. And so the world will try to come and make your ministry about you. Your ministry is not about you. And you shouldn't even call it your ministry, Mm -hmm. right? You can call it the ministering, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
That's how you want to look at it. Because then you just get happy. And you, you don't feel hurt if people say they can't listen to you. Well, let me point you to someone else. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Don't reject the message. Right. Right? Right. It's the really message that's you important. Said that. It really helped me to understand one of my friends who doesn't want to listen to you. Because yeah. her first husband was always yelling and screaming at her. Yeah. And I never thought about that till just mm. now. Hey, you can wow. get triggered. She'd probably read it though if I send it, you know, the notes. If you send the notes and I, mm -hmm. I've been so I've gotten so slammed I haven't been able to start, but when I start that Bible study, it will be much more calm. Right? Because I'll I'll be in there by myself. And the microphone will be all up on my mouth. And one of the reasons why I talk loud is because I have like a mental block. That when I'm in a room, it's like I forget I might. And I, I'm trying to talk to the people in the back row. And the room is big. Right? And, and I get loud. But in that room, the room is small. Mm -hmm. And the mic is up on my mouth. And I don't feel like I'm trying to reach people. And so I've noticed when I've done videos in there, I'm much more monotone. But yeah, people can get triggered. It, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know? It doesn't mean something about you. If someone thinks you're annoying, Barb, yeah. it doesn't mean it's because of you that they feel that. Mm -hmm. It means there's something going on yeah. in them and yeah. what they've encountered in life. Yeah. And you don't have to despise them for that, but neither do you have to despise yourself. Right? Yeah. Can we just be free <laughs> to, to feel what we feel? And for us not to judge one another as evil because of it, mm. you will when you see that you're sinless without yes. death. And you got a life that can't be overcome by death, right? That's when you start finding the liberty to allow people the space to uh, feel what they feel and experience life without you feeling like you got to extinguish it so you can have life mm. or so that you can feel okay. I don't have to extinguish someone else's feelings about my intensity for me to feel okay about myself. Yeah. Do you see? Mm, yeah. yeah. But Craig, you were running. No, see? With the most amazing good news. How can we, you know, when we really are overflowing with the good news, a child runs into the parent's house and slams the door opens and, Mom, Dad! Or they run out the door to their friends and say, Johnny, Bill, you know, look, yeah, yeah. get, look, you know, what happened? I got to tell you something. That's, yeah. that's the way I see it. I mean, how can you possibly, I mean, I realize we do have personalities, but. That's, know, that's I how mean, I see it too. But, but you're, you're declaring the most powerful, the most mm -hmm. life changing, mm -hmm. the most best news ever Amen. that you are first experiencing yourself mm -hmm. and you want so much you can't contain it yeah, yeah. you well, no, go that, out that, and you shout it that's how i feel but other people have had different experiences with loud talking mm -hmm. right yeah. i'm just going to be i'm just going to be honest since we're all being honest here we have predispositions we do like like at at the uh wedding reception you had two choices. You could have the bread pudding or you could have flour with chocolate cake. Do you think everybody got the bread pudding? No. Some people got the tart. Some people got the bread yeah. pudding. Right? And so some, we can have predispositions about preaching. And we'll just use Birdie because Birdie's free from it. Right? I'm just going to talk about myself. I'd much rather listen to Birdie when he's out on the road because he's standing up and he's evangelizing. 
I like it. I, it, it. I think there's more power in it. But does that mean there is? No. And so Bertie sits and does, you know, the, the web thing now. And he's just sitting there and he's not moving. It's the same words. The power's in the words. But for me, I'd much rather like it when he's standing up. And when he's, you know, that's why I like it when he's on the road. And so we have predispositions, and some people like things, and some people like other things. And I still listen to Birdie, whether he's sitting up or standing. So God can work freedom in you to where you won't live by your inclinations, right? right? Or you don't judge things by your inclinations. But you could still have it that way, right? But until everybody is dwelling in that liberty, I'd rather not despise them or despise myself. Amen. I'd rather give them the ability to feel what they feel without me making them think there's something wrong with what they right. feel. Right? Yeah. I, that's what I'd rather do. And I'd rather not think there's something wrong with me in the day that everybody else finds there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Right? And I got a good marker for that because God himself came in the world. How many people do you think didn't find something wrong with God? God! I mean, does everybody agree Jesus is God? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus is God. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. Do you know what in the beginning means? It doesn't mean like a time frame like we think of. It means before there was time, the chief of all things was this. When there was nothing and there was no time, the only thing that was there was this. Right? And so John comes and describes Jesus like that. And says, he's the word that is before all things, in which all things find their existence. He's the chief of all things. And that word that was in the beginning, that was God, that is God, it put on human flesh, and we saw him. Right. So Jesus is God. And Jesus came into the world, and he did a whole lot of talking. And how many people do you think loved all his talking? Not a whole lot of people. They nailed the guy to a tree because they didn't like how he talked. Right. <laughs> and at the end of it all, he had like 12 people that were still with him when he, before he went to the cross. And so the rest of the people, they were only there because he performed miracles. Right. They weren't there because they believed what he said. Right. They were there because they wanted bread. And maybe, man, listen, I like wine. This guy turned water into wine before. Maybe he'll do that this time. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you get all your friends. The party's hey, on. <laughs> listen, this guy turned these big old things and let's, we got to get him to come to our wedding. <laughs> that, that's why people flock to him. Right? Yeah. And the moment you come, unless you eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody left. They didn't like what he said. Right? <laughs> and then what did Jesus say to the disciples? Will you leave too? Will you leave too? And then at the end, when he's on the, the cross, who was there? His mom? John? And Mary Magdalene, maybe. Those are the only three people there. Yeah. Right? So we don't, we don't, we want to be careful of the judgments we make over people's reactions to us. Before we make any judgments, we ought to talk with God. Just talk with God about what we're thinking. Let's process what we're, the, the things that are bombarding us. Let's process them with God. Because God will take us to the place where he discerns the, the truths from the lies. And that will keep our hearts from offense. Which again, guys, means to stumble at the truth about something. When you become offended by somebody, it's because you've assigned something to them that isn't true. 
When you become offended with yourself, meaning despising something about yourself, it means because you've judged something about yourself that isn't true. That's what it means, offense. You stumble at the truth concerning a matter. That's what happens. And most of the time, when you're offended, it's a very traumatic thing that's happened. That's why you stumble at the truth. Because something very traumatic, painful, hurtful, whatever you want to call it, has happened. And when those kinds of things happen, we're never content just to sit around and think, I'm not going to think anything about it. (laughs) No, no, no. We got to get busy reasoning about it. Because we think if we can reason it out, then we're going to come to a place where we'll be protected and preserved from it. So we got to figure it all out. We got to figure out everything going on with all the people that were involved, with ourselves. We got to make sure we know what was in them, why they did what they did, why they said what they said, how it came out that way. What does it mean about me? What does it mean about them? And we think if we can gather all that information, then we'll have the proper foundation from which we can be protected from future pain. All the while, all the conclusions we made didn't come from God. They didn't even really come from us. They come from the carnal mind that's in the earth now because of Adam planted death in the earth. Right? And so if we can just stop when we feel those things and start talking with God about what we think and start talking with God about how he sees it and reserve our judgments and get with him, that will save our hearts from lots of pain. I promise you, You the devil comes to offend when you experience pain. That's when he comes to fill your heart with the judgment. That's the easiest time for him to convince us of a lie when we're in pain. I've said this a long time ago, but elevated emotion makes it easier for the heart to grab a hold of a belief. Elevated emotion. So it isn't just when you feel pain, you have the greatest opportunity for a lie to get planted in your heart. But when you feel very happy, you also have the greatest opportunity for a truth to be planted in your heart or a belief. Elevated emotion opens the heart up wide, right? I've read that about committing things into long-term memory to solicit some kind of, a, if you want to make someone remember something, you got to solicit some form of emotion so that they can commit that into long-term memory. Yeah, because if they attach a strong emotion to it, right. that thing sticks, right? right? Mm. And pain is a strong emotion. Mm. And so then the beliefs we stick with the pain becomes very strong. Like the way I could trigger your friend, right? Mm -hmm. A very strong emotion has been attached to that experience. Mm -hmm. And so she's got a long memory, right? (laughs) And the second she hears that, that yelling, that screaming, she's like having a flashback, right? She might have swore to herself, I'll never, I don't ever want to hear anybody yell ever again. Mm Mm-hmm. It hurts too bad. Mm-hmm. I had an interesting, uh, <clears throat> we had a meeting this week, and the guy next to me before the meeting says, uh, are you ready to die? I said, no, I already have, but thank you. <laughs> so he Oops. says, look at this. And he showed me a video of Israel being attacked. And Israel has a dome over it, which is an electronic computerized uh, defense system. Mm-hmm. And the people were actually standing on the street watching the, the missiles and the planes come and being destroyed as, as soon as they got into space. He said, so this is the end. I mean, all prophecies have been fulfilled. Now Israel is being attacked. And then 
So the other guys are listening, and pretty soon they all start talking, right? And another guy brings up, you know, I don't know if you all know about the economy, but if you look at the projections of not just the United States, but almost the world, by November, we will definitely be in a serious recession, if not a depression. And, and they're partly because we can't, it's hard for us to buy stuff. Places are closed or they have skeleton crews. We can't get repair parts. And so, you know, there's that fear there, right? So, boy, before I know it, you know, there's anguish and anger. And, and uh, I want to buy your shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm going to wear it to the next meeting. <laughs> um, you know, and all I could think of was three things. Number one, how you say, oh, there is, is the resurrection. That's all that matters, right? I, they can't kill me. Yeah. Right? But where God says, above all things, I just love when he says, above all things. I mean, it's got to grab your attention. Guard your heart. As you think, so you will be. You know, and, I, and that's why I don't watch TV. I think it's very manipulative. I think mm -hmm. it's very, um, somebody wrote a great poem uh, last month about TV and it, and it was in first person and it says, I love you, I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna whisper sweet things in your ear. I'm gonna capture you. <laughs> you know, and it's at the bottom of this whole long thing, it says the TV. Right. <laughs> I will end up destroying you, and you will have a nervous breakdown. You won't even know it. It's the me. TV. <laughs> but I can tell you so, about all the drugs. I thought it was very interesting that that you know I felt the manifestation of love. I was I wasn't concerned about all that stuff. It made me happy. Um, I felt bad for them. But it made me, I felt his presence so lovingly oh. and assuringly, like like if you took a little child and went, it's all right, it's going to be good, you know, I, it was it was awesome, it was awesome. But the world is the world is a constant roaring lion seeking to screw us up, and yeah. no one can accurately interpret. Or have the wisdom to discern what's going on in the world ever right. from a heart filled with can. fear. <laughs> no, that's my whole point. Yeah. I know. They're the blind leading the blind. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can discern the seasons <laughs> and the weather when it's coming in, yet you can't discern the signs of the times. Yeah. There he is standing there. And so you can't understand anything. You can't discern anything. You can't have wisdom about anything going on in the world apart from a sound mind. And you don't have a sound mind if you're filled with fear. Well, it was You don't have a sound mind if you feel anxious. Yeah. That's not a sound mind. And so whatever discerning you do from those things, you can be rest assured that your discerning is garbage. Yeah. There's no wisdom in fear. There's no wisdom and anxiety. Wisdom is not born from those things. Wisdom is born from a sound mind. And so th that's like a first indication, guys, when you're listening to people, right? What makes me think they have wisdom to begin with, right? What makes me think that? And then well, what e equals wisdom? What does wisdom come forth from? It doesn't come forth from fear. It doesn't come forth from worry. It doesn't come forth from anxiety. 
None of those things give birth to wise thoughts or wisdom, right? That's the first thing you want to think. And so whenever people are talking about that, listen, talking from that foundation, it's okay if they're talking like that, but you want to understand that those things aren't born from wisdom. Because that's not how wisdom sounds. It ended up turning into an argument because they started judging each other. Yeah, hey, I know you voted for Joe. Don't be give me that. See, what, this is what happens. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm going. Whoa. The wisdom that is from above. You know what it says? It's first peaceable. Right. It's first peaceable. Yeah. It's first peaceable. It makes you feel peace. Okay. I mean, yeah. and so man, it, we'd be good if we can discern things and guarding your heart. How do you guard your heart? Because so many things in the Bible sound like an active action, but they're more really a passive action, meaning something else is doing the guarding, right? And so when we think of guarding our hearts, we think of what we got to do, you know, we got to protect it, we got to keep, hear no evil, see no evil, think no evil, right? Jesus wasn't thinking, well, if I could not see the evil or hear the evil or think about the evil that's happening, then my heart will be guarded. Right? Revelation goes on to say the way that your heart is kept, which is really what it's saying, it's actually talking about how your heart will be kept. Mm-hmm. And it says the way your heart will be kept is by wearing the grace of God around your neck. And so it's actually the message of God's grace that will keep your heart. And so it's a passive action, right? It's about your eyes and your ears being fixed or hearing about the grace of God. And then that is where like an uh, am- emblem or an amblet. Around your neck, it says, and it guards your heart. It says, guard your heart with with all diligence. It says to keep the teaching of your father and your mother always around your neck, right? And it's talking about the father and the Holy Spirit right there. Solomon would be the son. That would be Jesus. And so it's the father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as a woman in in, uh, Proverbs 8. It's talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit teaching the Son about how his heart will be kept from the voice of the stranger or the strange woman in the earth or the voice of the accuser. It's talking about what will keep his heart, the message of the grace of God, right? That's what it's talking about. And so that's how your heart will be kept in that dynamic. Israel. If you want to think about Israel with eschatology, there's so many things you have to think about. Paul come and said Israel is not all Israel. What? Israel is not all Israel. And he was talking eschatologically speaking. So the moment we want to define our eschatology surrounding a physical Israel instead of a spiritual people, we've already lost the plot. <laughs> it's not talking about a physical nation. Wow. It's not talking about the circumcision of man's, with man's hands. It's talking about the circumcision of the heart. Israel has always been talking about a spiritual people that was made up of both Gentiles and Jewish people that had received the circumcision in their heart. So when Paul come and said, all Israel is not Israel, he's saying Israel is not talking about a physical nation. It's talking about the people that would hear the voice of God and they would come out from the world, they would come out from trusting in the strength of their flesh and they would trust in the strength of God. Those people are Israel. Spiritual Israel. Allow me this term because uh, I'm speaking of something worldly. As a leader in the body of Christ, let me apologize to all of the people for the rest of us leaders that didn't know what the hell we were talking about and yet we still spent all of our time talking. (laughs) Forgive us. We we were well-intentioned. We did not mean to do that. We sat where we had a love for the Lord, and then we went off to something called cemetery. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean seminary. 
and we let the world cemetery. teach us about God, and then we came out of seminary or cemetery <laughs> ten times more the child of death than where we were when we went in. And so now we come out spewing forth all the things that the world taught us about God, because that's what seminary is. There's no seminary in the Bible. Exactly. You guys realize that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no seminary in the Bible. The apostles never built a school and said, we're going to now give an accreditation. They didn't do that. It's just that the Holy Spirit will build the church. And that when Jesus ascended above high, he took captivity captive and gave gifts unto people. Ministering gifts. Mm-hmm. Some apostles, some pastors, some preachers, some evangelists. Right. For the edification of the body, for the perfecting of the saints. Right. None of that has to do with seminary. You can't teach people the gifts. You can't. Because they're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not the gifts of, I went to seven classes a day for three years. And so that's why the church is in so much disarray right now. It's because we've taken what is the gospel and we've turned it into a man thing. That's what we've done. God's busy making that straight right now. He's making it straight right now. Right? And so if we're children of the light, what are we going to be more aware of? The light or the darkness? Does that mean we don't see the darkness? No. No, we see the darkness, but when we see the darkness, we see it through the lens of the light. Right. And so what does light do to darkness? Okay. So I don't pretend that the darkness ain't there. When I see the darkness, I see the darkness through the power of a light that dispels the darkness. Right? right? And that's how I interpret light. And that's how I interpret things. Yeah. Right? This is what I know. If you understand the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, you will understand all things. Right? And that's what all of us need to know. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing all of us need to know. Right? But you, you can mess people up when you say that kind of a thing. Well, where does it say that Israel is a physical nation? Yeah, right. <laughs> where in the New Testament does it describe Israel that way? Yeah. Right? It's like Paul then comes and says, and so all Israel will be saved. But he's not talking about physical Israel. He's talking about Israel according to the heart. Remember, God says like literally a thousand times, I look not on the flesh of a human, I look on their heart. Jesus stood up in the midst of the temple, I judge no person according to the flesh. I judge no person according to being Jewish or Gentile. I judge no person according to the works that they've done outwardly. And then we want to come and define all of our eschatology in the exact way that God says he doesn't think. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And even if you go go and read the the prophecies of Daniel carefully, I mean, if you really read it carefully, he uses the word saints. Mm -hmm. He says the saints. Mm -hmm. Let's say Israel. Mm -hmm. He says the saints. Now, is someone who hasn't believed a saint? No. You can't be a saint outside of having eternal life. And so when Daniel comes talking all that end-time eschatology, he's talking about the saints. And I don't mean the football team. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Although we do like the saints. (laughs) And should everybody circle them about, we will stand with them. No. (laughs) But Daniel comes and describes all that using the terminology, the saints. Mm. And so, guys, I would just encourage you, there's so much more than meets the eye when you think about Revelation. It is steeped in 
symbolism, not literalism. It's pictures. We want to interpret literally. And it is not steep. It has a literal meaning, but the images that are used are not literal. <clears throat> right? They're symbolic. And they're trying to declare, declare something. Ancient Jewish people would have known that. The way it's written is actually written according to ancient Jewish thought, which was to use pictures and symbols to describe something. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. We, we all want to read Revelation to find out when the end will be. You know how many times people have asked me, is this the end times? And I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesus said no one will know when the end is. And yet we spend all of our time trying to figure out when the end is. <laughs> what? what? Oh, jeez. Right? I, I love how Hebrews starts. It says, God has spoke. In the past, God spoke to us through the fathers and through the prophets and through the law. But God has in these last days spoken to us through his son. Yes. Notice how he said these last days? Right. It's been the last days since Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been in the end times since Jesus was raised from the dead. The end times just means the nearing of the end of the existence of death. It's the end of the age where death exists. And we are at the precipice of death no longer existing. But we've been at the precipice of that since Jesus was raised from the dead. Because death was put on death row. When Jesus was raised from the dead, free from death. That was a judgment against death. It was God coming and standing in the midst of the earth and saying, I'm not the father of death. There's no darkness or death in me. I haven't brought forth death in this earth. Death does not have eternal life. My face does not shine on death. Death will not exist forever. And in fact, this resurrection is a testimony and a sign that death is perishing actively now. And so it's the end of the time that death will exist. Those are the end times. And so, listen, man, when you see the darkness, it's just like when you see the darkness through the eyes of the light. You see that the darkness is being dispelled. Death is actively dying. Death is not growing. It's dying. And when you see death, the gospel will bring something forth in your heart where you see that death has been nailed to a tree by God. Right. Inside of the body of Jesus himself. That God came and took the death that was tormenting us and he nailed it in a, to a tree. The death of death. I love what Bono said, and I say this all the time, but the lead singer from U2, that guy suffered major tragedy. I think his dad died when he was a little boy, um, and his grandfather raised him, and then his grandfather died when he was like a teenager, and while he was at the funeral for his grandfather, his mother dropped dead. And so he talked about how all that kind of a thing bothered him. And tormented him, and he was an artist, and so much of the lyrics came out of the pain and everything. And then he said, it's an interview, he's a, you know, he's a grown man now. He said, um, and that stuff shaped my life. And then I went to Calvary, which is the hill that Jesus was crucified on, and he said, I went to the place where death died. Yeah. I went to the place where death died. That is a powerful, powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, Because when you see the death in the earth, if you see it as nailed to the tree and dead, listen man, there's great liberty for you. When you see all the lack you think is present around you, you see that lack nailed to the tree and you see that it's dead, that's a powerful thing in your life. It echoes something to you repetitively. Right? 
So I'll avoid preaching about Revelation probably until I'm old and um, everyone's forgot who I am and I haven't preached in like 30 years and then I'll, I'll create like an anonymous pen name and I'll, I'll write a book before I die. <laughs> I was just wondering how old is old? <laughs> well, Do you mean know. my age? <laughs> I'm thinking like 90. <laughs> 90? When you write the book. Have it released when you pass away. That's right. And he can't call you. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking when I'm very old. I've had a vision of myself very old, and I had white hair and a white beard. Yeah. And I was in the earth. Now, I mean, obviously, some miracle is going to have to happen because I ain't got no hair. And I tell God about that all the time. How come I keep having this recurring dream while I have this white hair and this white beard? I'm like an old guy, you know? Uncle still singing. Good stuff this morning. Yeah, I never got. I'll get. I'll get to the reward thing next week, and I'll explain that. It's a short thing, and I'll I'll finish that up. One thing, guys. As ministers or teachers or people who like to interpret the scriptures, you never want to create a narrative. You're not trying to propagandize people. And what I mean by that is a narrative or propaganda tries to hide the people from the things that might look like a contradiction, right? No, no, we can't let them see that because if they see that, then they won't believe this, right? That's propaganda. You don't put it all in front of the people. One thing I can't stand that ministers do is they decide what they believe and then they hide from all the things that seemingly contradict what they believe and what they say. I hate that because I think it's deciding for the people mm-hmm. what they're going to hear and what they're going to believe. So what I always try to do is talk about the verses that sound like a contradiction to what we might say and explain the verses sure. and put them right in front of the people, not hide it from the people. We're not trying to trick the people into belief. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We're not trying to propagandize them. We're not trying to hide from the, the difficult sounding verses. What we want to do is bring those verses out in the middle of everybody and talk about what they mean. So I talked about the reward, right, and set it from this angle. And so we're going to bring out that verse next week at the Bible study. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, where it talks about uh, one waters and one, one plants, one waters, but it's God that gives an increase, and it talks about the reward, and then it talks about getting a reward, and it talks about you losing your reward on the last day. So we're not going to pretend like that verse ain't there, because we ain't here to trick you. <laughs> we're not trying to cause you to believe something. We're trying to put the faith of God in your midst and let you and God sort it out, right? But next week we'll do that. We'll cover that, because um, that sounds a little funny. And we'll explain it in context. It's really simple and it's really not funny or a contradiction when you look at it in its proper context. It's real simple. But glory to God. Thank you guys so much. Yeah.